Welcome to Old Treasures Made New, your devotional podcast on the go or at home, where we read the scriptures and reflect on them with those from the past. Today we're reading Matthew 15, verses 1 to 9, and then through J.C. Ryle's expository thoughts on Matthew. Please take a moment to pause and to ask the Holy Spirit to bring understanding and to apply what we hear. Matthew, chapter 15, verses 1 to 9. Then Pharisees and scribes came to Jesus from Jerusalem and said, Why do your disciples break the tradition of the elders? For they do not wash their hands when they eat. He answered them, And why do you break the commandment of God for the sake of your tradition? For God commanded, Honor your father and your mother, and whoever reviles father or mother must surely die. But you say, If anyone tells his father or his mother, What you would have gained from me is given to God. He need not honor his father. So for the sake of your tradition, you have made void the word of God. You hypocrites! Well did Isaiah prophesy of you when he said, This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. This is the word of the Lord. We have in these verses a conversation between our Lord Jesus Christ and certain scribes and Pharisees. The subject of it may seem, at first sight, of little interest in modern days, but it is not so in reality. The principles of the Pharisees are principles that never die. There are truths laid down here which are of deep importance. We learn, for one thing, that hypocrites generally attach great importance to mere outward things in religion. The complaint of the scribes and Pharisees in this place is a striking case in point. They brought an accusation to our Lord against his disciples. But what was its nature? It was not that they were covetous or self-righteous. It was not that they were untruthful or uncharitable. It was not that they had broken any part of the law of God. But they had disobeyed the tradition of the elders, and they did not wash their hands when they ate bread. They did not observe some rule of mere human authority which some old Jew had invented. This was the head and front of their offense. Do we see nothing of the spirit of the Pharisees in the present day? Unhappily, we see only too much. There are thousands of professing Christians who seem to care nothing about the religion of their neighbors, provided that it agrees with outward matters with their own. Does their neighbor worship according to their particular form? Can he repeat their shibboleth and talk a little about their favorite doctrines? If he can, they are satisfied, though there is no evidence that he is converted. If he cannot, they are always finding fault and cannot speak peaceably of him, though he may be serving Christ better than themselves. Let us beware of this spirit. It is the very essence of hypocrisy. Let our principle be, the kingdom of God is not food and drink, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Romans 14 verse 17. We learn for another thing from these verses, the great danger of attempting to add anything to the word of God. Whenever a man decides to make additions to the scriptures, he is likely to end with valuing his own additions above scripture itself. 
We see this point brought out most strikingly in our Lord's answer to the charge of the Pharisees against his disciples. He says, Why do you obey the commandment of God because of your tradition? He strikes boldly at the whole system of adding anything as needful to salvation to God's perfect word. He exposes the mischievous tendency of the system by an example. He shows how vaunted traditions of the Pharisees were actually destroying the authority of the fifth commandment. In short, he establishes the great truth, which ought never to be forgotten, that there is an inherent tendency in all traditions to make the commandment of God void. The authors of these traditions may have meant no such thing. Their intentions may have been pure. But that there is a tendency in all religious institutions of mere human authority to usurp the authority of God's word is evidently the doctrine of Christ. It is a solemn remark of Bucer's that a man is rarely to be found who pays an excessive attention to human inventions in religion, who does not put more trust in them than in the grace of God. And have we not seen melancholy proof of this truth in the history of the Church of Christ? Unhappily, we have seen only too much. As Baxter says, Men think God's laws too many and too strict, and yet make more of their own and are precise for keeping them. Have we never read how some have exalted canons, rubrics, and ecclesiastical laws above the word of God and punished disobedience to them with far greater severity than open sins like drunkenness and swearing? Have we never heard of the extravagant importance which the Church of Rome attaches to monastic vows and vows of celibacy and keeping feasts and fasts insomuch that he seems to place them far above family duties and the Ten Commandments? Have we never heard of men who make more ado about eating meat in Lent than about gross impurity of life or murder? Have we never observed in our own land how many seem to make adherence to episcopacy the weightiest matter in Christianity and to regard churchmanship, as they call it, as far outweighing repentance, faith, holiness, and the graces of the Spirit? These are questions which can only receive one sorrowful answer. The spirit of the Pharisees still lives. After 1,800 years, the disposition to make the commandment of God void by traditions is to be found among Christians as well as among Jews. The tendency particularly To exalt man's inventions above God's word is still fearfully prevalent. May we watch against it and be on our guard. May we remember that no tradition or man-made institution or religion can ever excuse the neglect of relative duties or justify disobedience to any plain commandment of God's word. We learn in the last place from these verses that the religious worship which God desires is the worship of the heart. We find our Lord establishing this by a quotation from Isaiah, This people draws near to me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. The heart is the principal thing in the relation of husband and wife, of friend and friend, of parent and child. The heart must be the principal point to which we attend in all relations between God and our souls. What is the first thing we need 
in order to be Christians? A new heart. What is the sacrifice God asks us to bring to him? A broken and a contrite heart. What is the true circumcision? The circumcision of the heart. What is genuine obedience? To obey from the heart. What is saving faith? To believe with the heart. Where ought Christ to dwell? To dwell in our hearts by faith. What is the chief request that wisdom makes to everyone? My son, give me your heart. Let us leave the passage with honest self-inquiry as to the state of our own hearts. Let us settle it in our minds that all formal worship of God, whether in public or private, is utterly in vain so long as our hearts are far from him. The bended knee, the bowed head, the loud amen, the daily chapter, the regular attendance at the Lord's Supper are all useless and unprofitable so long as our affections are nailed to sin or pleasure or money or the world. The question of our Lord must yet be answered satisfactorily before we can be saved. He says to everyone, Do you love me? John 21 verse 17 That is the end of Ryle's expository thoughts for these verses. Let us carefully consider what we've heard today and may the Lord be pleased to bring the growth for His glory.